If you could open your Bibles at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be starting uh, at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now I wonder what the longest journey you've ever undertaken is and whether the destination was worth the trip. Sometimes I love to go on journeys and sometimes I really don't and it usually depends on the speed it takes to get from departure to destination. My family goes on holiday to Scotland every year And usually I hop on a plane at either Heathrow or Gatwick and no less than an hour later I'm in sunny Edinburgh or just Edinburgh. However, a few summers ago I drove up in my car with my brother and it was a bit of an epic journey to say the least. We had to keep stopping and I found that greatly frustrating. There were roadworks, there was traffic congestion, toilet breaks were required and food breaks as well in service stations. And by the time I'd even reached Northampton... I wanted to park up and stay in the local travel lodge. Thankfully, though the journey was insufferable, the destination was totally worth it and we'd had a good family holiday. On other occasions, journeys can be a lot more fun in and of themselves. I remember the most enjoyable drive I've ever ever done, a road trip through California and all the way to Arizona to go and see the Grand Canyon. You can see a picture of it behind me. Uh, I'd gone with a mate of mine and we'd rented a better car than I could have afforded to buy here in the UK. The scenery was terrific as we drove. The roads were absolutely crystal clear. They were almost deserted and we certainly weren't going to hit any kind of rush hour traffic. And we got to our destination as quickly as we could have done. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, but it is one of the most wonderful sights I've ever seen. The journey have been good to go to go and get there but the destination itself was far better and really that's where we're arriving to in today's passage we're arriving to a destination it may not be the destination you're expecting for an advent series because the destination isn't actually the birth of Jesus but we've been looking at the second half of Luke chapter 1 we've been looking at events from Mary's perspective it's why we've called this series through her eyes and today we reach the crescendo even before Jesus is born. Mary arrives at a better destination than even the glorious Grand Canyon in all its splendour. Mary's destination is what we've just read about in Luke 1. It's seeing God in all his greatness for who he is and what he's done, and in Mary's case, responding in a song of pure, passionate worship. And today we're looking at the worship of God being our destination, simply because that's what we were created for. And it's what we see Mary doing in this passage. She's worshipping God. 
And my hope, prayer and expect, expectation for us today is that we're going to see why we can worship God. We're going to see and worship him more truthfully, more passionately and more excitedly than we've ever done before. And to see God in all his greatness and to worship him is to know and do what we were created for. So God, even now, I pray you'd open our eyes to see and hear from you today that we may worship you better. Mary begins her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. The words soul and spirit in the Bible are used interchangeably. They essentially mean the core of your being, where your deepest desires, your passions, your emotions lie. So here we have worship from the heart. It's what God desires from us. He wants us to worship him. Now, God isn't really interested in what we say or we sing to him if our hearts, our soul and our spirit, as Mary puts it, are not in it. When Jesus was asked by one of the teachers of the law, which is the most important commandment, he answered this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In Luke 1, Mary is going for it. We'll call it fifth gear worship. Every ounce of who she is, is worshipping the Lord. Now it's important here just to quickly define what worship is and what it isn't. Worship isn't just the songs that we sing. We had a, uh, we actually find a really good definition of what worship is in the Bible. Uh, if you turn to Romans chapter 12, where it'll come up on the screen, Paul's uh, writing to Christians living in uh, Italy at the time and he says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now notice, there's actually nothing in those two verses that say anything about singing. What we can discern is that worship involves our whole bodies and our minds. That pretty much means that anything can be worshipped. You can play sport to the glory of God. You can praise him with the way you make your dinner. You can go to work and you can be an accountant or a teacher or a cleaner or a CEO to the glory of God. You can even wash up to the glory of God. Now worship certainly involves singing, but it isn't limited to it. And one other thing to notice from that Romans passage is that worship is always in response to God. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, worship. Now, worship of God isn't something that we can drum up by ourselves from within. Worship is the expression of our natural desire to lay hands on or praise something greater than ourselves. We see it all the time in day-to-day -day life. We praise the things that we think are great. Gigs we've been to, food that we've eaten, people we've met, or holiday destinations we've come back from, like the Grand Canyon, or new technologies that have been created. Things that we see as great, we cannot help but praise. And in today's passage, we see Mary praising the unsurpassable greatness of God. She sees his greatness and she can't help but praise. And we're going to unpack her song a little bit later. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't find it very easy to connect with how Mary was feeling as she sung this song. Never mind fifth gear worship. 
you're struggling in first gear. Maybe it's as much effort as you could muster just to get to church this morning. Well, here's some good news for you. Mary didn't suddenly arrive at verse 46. Hearty worship may be her destination, but she's come on quite a journey to get there. So first, let's have a look at Mary's journey to worship. Now, she left the departure lounge back in verse 26, when the angel Gabriel turned up on her doorstep. At the time, Mary was likely around 14 years of age. She is engaged to a carpenter called Joseph, and the angel brings unexpected news that though she is a virgin, she's going to have a baby. And if that wasn't bewildering enough for Mary, the angel prophesies that this son will be the Messiah, God's promised king who would inherit the great throne of David and who uh, wouldn't be like any of the previous occupants of the throne because this king would reign forever. Now that was a lot to take in for Mary. So it's no wonder her first response to the angel's message is understandably one of both astonishment and scepticism. This is the first part of Mary's journey. She starts off as a sceptic at what God speaks to her through the angel. You can see it in verse 34 of Luke 1. How will this be since I am a virgin, she says. It's another way of saying that is totally bonkers. It's impossible. And if you're relatively new to Christianity and you're exploring the claims of the Christian faith, then not only do we love the fact that you're here investigating with us, but you're also welcome to be sceptical and find parts of the Christian story unlikely, surprising or even astonishing to believe at first. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, found this news completely crazy to start with. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in the US, uh, writes in his new book, uh, Hidden Christmas, an excellent book, and recommend it as a stocking filler. Um, this is what he says, there is a kind of doubt that is the sign of a closed mind, and there is a kind of a doubt that is the sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers, and some doubt is a defence against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth, and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. If you come to the God of the Bible with an open mind and thoughtful questions seeking genuine answers, you will find yourself moving along the journey towards worship just as Mary did. Or perhaps you're a believer this morning and yet you're struggling with doubts that God is who he says he is in the Bible. Or you're going through a difficult time and you're tempted to think God isn't fundamentally good, doesn't care about your situation, or that he's not powerful enough to bring about change in your circumstances. If either of those are you this morning, we can learn a lot from Mary. Because though Mary starts off as a sceptic, uh, she doesn't stay there. In the next few verses, she moves into another category of belief. She simply accepts what God has said. In verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. God reveals more of his plan for Mary uh, through Gabriel. He explains this miracle of the virgin birth is going to be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And that her relative Elizabeth, who should really be too old to have had children, was also pregnant in an extraordinary answer to prayer. Mary's moved from scepticism to belief at this point. Nothing more than simple belief. She says nothing of any joy that she has, 
nor prays for God. But the angel's message has calmed her and Mary responds in humble obedience. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. That is worship. Worship is always a response to revelation. It's to God speaking or doing something. And here God speaks and Mary obeys. Now her lack of enthusiasm is completely understandable, given that God has just made her life a lot more difficult very quickly. Like any normal teenage girl, she would have had hopes and dreams for her life, probably quite different to our Western ideals, I suspect, but nonetheless they were important. Suddenly Mary's pregnant outside of marriage, and in that culture, as we saw last week, it would be a shameful position to be in. Her dream bubble has been burst. Would anyone actually believe her story? Would Joseph file for an early and quick divorce? She could even legitimately have faced the death penalty by stoning if she'd been found guilty of adultery under Jewish law. And who would believe that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit? It might be that you are in something of a similar place today. You're faithful and obedient to God, uh, but you're not enthused in your worship of him. Your head will go with Mary into simple acceptance. Perhaps even in spite of difficult circumstances, God exists and the gospel is true. But I don't feel all that worship for and I wouldn't say I'm passionate for him. Or maybe you're zealous for God on a Sunday when we're gathered together. It's easy to get up for God. But the other six days of the week are a real struggle. The enthusiasm you had for reading your Bible and praying at the weekend disappears by the time a cold Monday morning comes around. Well, let me encourage you, it's possible to change. And Mary's story is proof of this. Now, we have to look at what the key to her for changing gear in worship is. And the answer is revelation. God speaks and we respond. I said earlier, we can't drum up uh, worship by ourselves. It's not something that we can do. We need God to speak and then us, uh, our responsibility is in response. At first, Mary's response was scepticism to what God had revealed. How can this be? After more revelation, scepticism turns to acceptance. Let it be to me according to your word, she says. And then yet after more revelation, Mary begins to worship from the heart. So that's where we're going to get into the meat of what we read earlier. We saw last week that Mary travelled to, to visit her relative Elizabeth, who was pregnant in old age. And what does God reveal to Mary while they're together? Well, he reveals that she is actually blessed by her circumstances. We saw last week how her shame would be turned to joy, just as the story of Elizabeth. Verse 45 this was at the end of last week's passage. Uh, happy is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed and experienced blessing. She experienced happiness at what God was doing. And we see now in today's passage, Mary singing from her heart. I wonder what it is that makes you sing without any inhibition from your soul and spirit, as Mary put it. Some of us are given to regular singing. We do it naturally in the shower, in the car or at home. I'd probably put myself in that category, though I'm not very good at it. Uh, we consider uh, singing uh, a bit of a hobby. But for others of us, we're much less given to spontaneously bursting out into song. But we don't mind singing 
in bigger groups of people, much like uh, my Geordie brothers. Uh, I've been a Newcastle supporter for most of my life. And if there's one thing I've learned during my time as a member of the Toon Army, it's that you actually don't need many reasons to sing. And that's a good thing for Newcastle fans, because the reality is that we don't have a lot to sing about. Now, the fans are brilliant to stand alongside at games. They are fiercely loyal and passionate, and I wouldn't swap being a Newcastle fan for any other team. But when you listen to the content of the songs that are sung, it is quite revealing that there isn't a lot to sing about. The most often repeated song they sing has just the one lyric, and the word, uh, creatively, is uh, Newcastle. They just sing Newcastle, Newcastle, Newcastle for a solid 90 minutes if they're left to it. We also sing as a collective about Alan Shearer, the Geordie Messiah as he's known. Uh, He's the club's greatest striker, but he didn't win anything while he was with the club. And they sing about being the black and white army. But we haven't won anything since 1969. It's an army that's been defeated regularly. Now, when you look at Mary's song, starting in verse 46, you see a very different song. You see uh, one that has a lot of content to it. In the space of just eight verses, she gives no less than 15 reasons why God is worthy of her heart's praise. And I've broken these uh, these reasons down into Three uh, broad categories, uh, and here they are. Worship from the heart focuses on what God has done historically. That's the first category. Secondly, worship uh, from the heart focuses on what God has done corporately, what he's doing together amongst the people of God. And thirdly, it focuses on what God has done personally in our individual lives. So firstly, Mary focuses on what God has done historically. This song gives away that Mary knew the teachings of the Old Testament extremely well. This is made all the more impressive when you think that she was very likely illiterate in that culture. She wouldn't have learned, she wouldn't have been able to read or write, and she would have uh, had to have learned scripture in the format of songs or committing whole books to memory. And Mary is the latest in a line of women who sing famous songs in the Bible, along with Miriam and Deborah, who sing great songs of victory in the Old Testament, and uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, whose uh, song Mary takes a lot of her content from. You can actually see how similar Mary's song is in Luke 1 to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. It's up on the screen. Uh, Hannah's song of worship came when God brought joy to her, replacing shame. She was able to look upwards to God's blessing rather than downwards on her circumstances which were trying and so Mary recognizes what God has done in history he is able to do again he is faithful he stays the same she says God is as holy now as he was then he's still the holy one he's still a savior and that he's mighty enough to both humble the proud and he's gracious enough to strengthen the weak and that he will fill the hungry with good things that phrase repeated in both songs now what's your view of god do you have this same view of mary that he is the same he is unchanging he is faithful he's as powerful now as he was back in the day or does your uh, your view of god change when your circumstances alter do you have mary's view that god is the same today as he was in her day as he was in hannah's day 
So Mary focuses on what God has done historically. Get to know the Bible. It's a great way to uh, experience uh, worshipping God. Secondly, Mary focuses on what God has done corporately. Mary, sorry, verse 34, uh, she sings, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary recognises there's more to God's plan than just herself. She knows she's part of something greater. The promises of God from centuries ago, when God had made them to Abraham, he said that all the people of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. It's an early reference to the Messiah who Mary was about to bring into the world. And she sees that she gets to play a part in this promise coming to fruition. To see the bigger picture in God's story is to get his perspective on it. Are you somebody who remembers to look outwardly as well as inwardly and to ask, what is God doing through me today to help other people? Or what is God doing in the world today in general? It can be so easy to be fixated and focused on the here and now, on what is happening in our individual circumstances day by day. And I'm so good at doing this. Um, but when you look at what's happening in the world today, there is much to worship God for. The gospel is exploding. Now, Tim Keller, uh, who I mentioned earlier, he's also done uh, some study on the growth of Christianity globally. He released in a book uh, earlier this year some statistics, which I think are just incredible. He writes this. In the non-Western world, the growth of Christianity is stunning. Last Sunday, there were more Christians attending church in China than there were in all of Christian Europe. By 2020, Christianity would have grown from 11.4 million Christians in East Asia. So that's China, Korea and Japan. That was 1970, 11.4 million and 1.2% of the population at the time to now 171 million Christians and over 10% of the population. And again, in 1910, there were uh, 12 million people or 9% of Africa's population that were Christians. Now the figure is 630 million Christians and 49.3% of the population. That's going to be the case by 2020 rather, not, not right now, but it will be in less than four years. Now hope isn't lost closer to home either. People are getting saved in the UK and in Europe. The kind of Christianity that's being practiced now is true count the cost of being a disciple Christianity in Jesus's words there are less and less nominal Christians and I think that is a good thing in light of Jesus's words in Matthew 7 when he says not everybody who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven our King's Church, uh, we're a part of uh, a network called New Ground. And as a movement, we're planting churches into Europe. It was really good recently to go to the Connect Conference. Uh, this is a conference for students 20s and 30s a few weeks ago in uh, South East London. And we heard of new churches about to be launched in Brussels and in Berlin. It was really encouraging to hear. And as a church, we planted into Istanbul a few years ago and we keep hearing stories of people becoming Christians and getting baptised month by month. God is pouring out his grace. We can worship God for what he's doing 
in our local church as well here in Kingston. Wasn't it great last week to welcome five new people into membership and celebrate two new babies this week? Mary looked outwardly at the people of God as a whole. And when we look at what God is doing corporately together in the church, both locally and globally, we can see much cause for worshipping God just as she did. Now, lastly, Mary reflects on what God has done personally. We've seen that uh, she reflects on both uh, what God's done historically and corporately together. At the start of this song, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour, not in God, the general saviour, but God, my saviour. This is cause for great celebration for Mary. And it's proof that though she's a wonderful example for us, in many respects to follow, she too had her flaws. She fell short of God's perfect, holy standards. And we all do. That's the teaching of the Bible. And we all need a saviour. And as Mary puts it so succinctly, holy is his name. We have a saviour. And Mary's about to give birth to this saviour who's going to bring about salvation for the many. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 it says this for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to god that is the essence of the christian gospel the king of kings jesus the holy righteous one suffered on the cross for mary's sins for your sins and for my sins so that we who are unholy unrighteous can be saved we can be brought to god and Mary says that knowing this personally brings about joyful worship. So I ask you, do you know the joy of sins forgiven? The joy of knowing you've been made uh, righteous, though you were unrighteous. The joy of knowing that you are now with God or he is with you rather than being divorced and apart from him. Do you know Jesus as God, my saviour? Now, what else do we know? Uh, what else does Mary know of God? personally well she also knows that he looks that he watches over her god's omniscience the fact that he sees and he knows everything about us and and the world is one of the most life-changing truths we can know about him it's one of it's uh, it's what makes king jesus stand out from other kings of the time in our day we're used to seeing royals like this this is prince william and princess kate of course uh in new delhi making a trip uh, to visit street children in india it's a wonderful use of authority to serve the humble those who are in need but this kind of service wasn't commonplace amongst ancient kings and queens often they wouldn't have made eye contact with anybody else except their own peers fellow royalty and noble men and women they wouldn't look directly at anyone who didn't have a ticket to the top table. And thankfully, that's not what God is like. Mary says he looks on the poor. He looks on a distressed pregnant teenage girl. He looks on the humble, the humiliated and the shamed. God is compassionate. And the fact that God knows and sees and is compassionate is wonderful news because it gives hope to those who've been mistreated those who've been wronged and to those who are in difficulty and need to know that God sees them in their troubled state. And if that is you this morning, if you've been mistreated, wronged or shamed, you need to know that God knows you. He sees you and he cares for you just as he did for Mary. 
The fact that God knows and sees everything is a great cause for comfort. But it is also a cause for great reverence. He knows and sees our most terrible thoughts and deeds. He sees us at our absolute worst and we can't hide from him. That's futile. And yet this only goes to show how great God's love truly is. Imagine a couple uh, that have just started dating. They've been together maybe for weeks or uh, in the early stages, first few months. And they say, I love you to each other for the first time. And then, on the other hand, imagine another couple that have been married for 50 years. They've celebrated their golden wedding anniversary. They've spent a whole lifetime together, raised children together, uh, gone through mountaintop highs and valley lows. And they say, I love you to each other. Which I love you do you think is more meaningful? Well, I think it's surely the couple that have been with each other through decades of life. They would have seen each other at their best, but also at their very worst and if they're still declaring their love for one another after that then they clearly mean it that's what God's love is like he knows everything about us and he still loves us and some of us might be tempted to think that God could only love some kind of a brushed up version of ourselves as if we're a car that's been through a few bumps and scrapes or maybe a crash or two and we need to get the bodywork looked at and service before the owner takes us back but that's not what God is like he loves you at your worst and he'll take you back in your most humble state I want us to think about how we can respond to what we've seen in Mary's song perhaps Christmas time for some of us brings about worries worries about relationships with family members anxieties about the start of 2017 and all it might bring Or maybe you've got financial troubles and you're worried about that. You could be worried about any number of things. And if anyone had reason to worry, it was Mary. She doesn't know how things are going to go down when she leaves Elizabeth. She's been with her for three months. All she knows is that God will be with her. And she knows his character. That's cause for celebration. Mary shows that the perfect antidote to worry is to worship So let's respond in the same way in a few moments. Let's worship God for what he's done historically, for what he's done and is doing in the life of the local and global church. And let's worship him for what he's doing or has done in our lives personally. What is your testimony? Earlier we saw how worship from the heart is always a response to revelation, a revelation from God. I think there are three quick practical steps we can take if we want to see and hear more from God and be moved to worship from the heart first of all get to know the bible Mary's song was saturated with scripture this was her springboard into praise we don't read the bible to become a scholar but a worshipper So firstly, get to know the Bible and read it. Secondly, Mary's meeting with Elizabeth was a turning point. She went from acceptance to praise. Now, I think this underlines the importance of community in the Christian life. We help one another to worship God through encouragement and prophecy like Elizabeth did. And if you haven't joined a life group yet, why not sign up to one today? And thirdly, as the band come up and we prepare to worship again, let's pray for revelation. Jesus said, for everyone who asks, 
receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you want to experience greater joy in worshipping, then let's ask God for it. He wants us to ask for it. Okay, let's uh, pray together.